that? All right. Well, we're we're thankful uh, thankful to, for Barbara. I believe who's taking Barbara and Tressa will be helping. Um, it's a uh, Keep saying, we'll just get through the summertime and then we'll figure out what the fall looks COVID-related and, and we'll see what that looks like. But uh, very thankful that we have children in God's house. All right, well, take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 9. Um, we're reaching a, a critical pivot point here in, in the Gospels. And even as I was singing Singing that last song, an impossible task, will be the, the point, I guess, to be made here uh, this morning. As I singing that, God will take care of you. I don't know whether you could very quickly relate with a task that God has placed before you. A task, and let's say like it, it, it's, it's, a, it's a mountain in your life, or maybe it's a conversation that needs to be had, or maybe it's a uh, something that needs to be addressed, and it's like, you know what, I don't know how I'm going to do this, right? And, and I think we can relate with that. And, and this morning, uh, as we're looking at, and we're going to get through all of John chapter, all of John chapter 9 this morning, uh, Jesus was facing an impossible task. Right? Jesus was, was going to have his last chance. He was going before the rulers of Israel with their, their last chance at believing that He is the Son of God. Like the last, last chance for them of accepting Him as the Messiah King, the last chance at the Gospel before God was going to transition into what we call the church, the age of grace. Right? So this is a pretty big deal. But Jesus was facing an impossible task, and I want us to relate with that this morning. So let me pray, and we'll step into this text. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for each person that's, that's here. I thank you for the time of worship, Lord, that we've been able to just gear our hearts towards these verses that will be before us. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us to see that um, you do take care of us when we're facing the, the, the impossible. Lord, you do call on us to step into these situations. You do promise to lead us through these situations. And I, and I pray that we understand that it is one of the, the spiritual privileges we have of being in you. Lord, I pray that you would use me, help me to connect these passages of Scripture just to show how much you loved us, show us how much the Son of God went through on our behalf. I just pray these things in your precious name. Amen. So impossible tasks is going to be. We're in a critical place, a transition, the context. Jesus is looking to gain an audience before the Pharisees, the religious leaders of Israel. Now this, this week it grabbed me. This is an impossible situation. Right? An impossible situation that his country needed the Word of God. Right? As Jesus went through, he was presenting God's Word. His country needed the Word of God. There was an impossible political situation that needed the Word of God. And we see that Jesus was willing to step up and into that, that, that need. There was an impossible situation in the midst of the, the religious needs of His country. Right? There was a, a spiritual darkness that needed the Word of God, and Jesus was willing to take that had me thinking this week, and it makes us or calls on us to look at Christianity in the church a little bit. 
right? It has us examine there. We face impossible scenarios all the time, don't we? We face impossible scenarios all the time. Might not be on a, a political level, might not even be on a provincial forum, but we, we face impossible scenarios in our families, right? That we, we, we are just, just, just cringing at having to step into. Our friendships, when something is taking place that needs to be addressed, that the Word of God needs to be placed before them, right? We face impossible situations. Our communities, our workplaces, right? What do we do when we're facing this impossible task? It's a good question and a serious one in today's culture, in today's day and age. Unfortunately, through the last many, many years, the answer has been call on the pastor. Right? If there's spiritual darkness in a family or in the community, the pastor will deal with them. If there's sin in the Christian community, the pastor will deal with them. It's a, it's a very good question to ask. What do we do when we're facing that impossible task that needs the Word of God? Life would tell us there is no shortage of impossible situations that need the Gospel. Right? There's no shortage of them. But it would also tell us that there is a shortage of people willing to go. Willing to go. This morning, as we step into John chapter 9, I want to just do a quick refresher Right, as the disciples in verse 2 ask this question, Rabbi or teacher, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? We remember these disciples asking this question were, were victims of heritage heresy. We all read, we ended up in Ezekiel chapter 18, right, in verse 20 to, to answer that. Right? Ezekiel 18 verse 20 explains to us that each person, right, above the, the, the age of, let's say, innocence, right there, the acknowledgement of what's right and wrong, each person is responsible for their own sin choice. Ezekiel 18.20 says, the soul who sins shall die, right, it's their punishment, their sin, their choice. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself. So the one obeying God's standard, all right, that's, he's righteous because he's obeying God's standard. The wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Last week we, we made those points for the parents, right, and it's an age-old struggle, right, there of a child who's willfully choosing to live against God's word in, 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 in disobedience. For the parent, if the word of God is placed before them, right, they are making their decision against God's standard. The sin is theirs. Same thing for a child. Connor and I, and I think I forgot to, to put that out um, there last Sunday. Right? For a child, you are not burdened to the sinful choices of your parents. Right? You have the standard. You have what you surrender to. You don't have to live in the sin that they live in. There's deliverance there. The last part of Ezekiel chapter 18 provides the answer, right? The answer to the parent, the answer to the child, the answer to this country who was living this way. Um, these verses, and I'm going to try and weave this into our next step, these verses explain the answer to the stupor, the blindness, and the deafness 
to the spiritual things of God. Stupor in the Greek means it's gone numb. All right? It's almost like an appendage. You know when the, the nerves are cut off and it goes to sleep and you can't use it? Right? The, the stupor of it. Right? it, it's, it, it the next verses explain the, the response to those who are spiritually slumbering. It says this, Ezekiel 18, verse 30. Therefore I, God speaking, will judge you, O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions so that iniquity will not be your ruin. We just spent a brief time last week, right? There's a repentance. See it as God sees it. See what God is saying to you, right? Repent and turn from all your transgressions, those things in your life that you continually trip in up on, that, that continually lead you in that downward spiral. Turn from those things so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Right? That sin will continue to lead you down, pass through brokenness to a ruined life. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. That's the promises that we have in Christ, a new heart, a new spirit. Does it mean that we're still going to sin? Of course it does. That's why He provided what was needed on the cross so that we ask for forgiveness and He cleanses the born-again believer so that we can start again. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Listen, God's speaking here. For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies. He doesn't want to be separated. He's done all that's necessary for us to come to Him. Says the Lord God, therefore turn and live. These are the answers that our families need when they, they're found in that, that stupor, that numbness, that spiritual slumber. This is the, the answers our friendships need and our workplaces need, right? Turn and live. Turn and live. So this morning, John chapter 9, I want us to see Jesus' impossible task. He is going before the rulers of Israel who are in a stupor, who are blind to what God is doing, who are deaf to something that is so clear. And it's not just Jesus speaking here. It's a man whose life has been touched by the Son of God. These men had gone numb to the spiritual things of God. They'd gone to sleep concerning God. They could not see what God was doing, and they could not listen. And that's where I began relating with many of my conversations in my family, in my friendships, in my community. You're talking about the spiritual things of God and what God is doing, and they cannot understand what's taking place. So John chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, Jesus' impossible task going to the rulers of the Pharisees. Verse 1, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is the day the night is coming when no one can work. Verse 5, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. God was going to use this blind man to open up the door for Jesus to step through before the rulers of Israel. Okay? God was going to use 
the works. Right? Jesus was going to heal this man. We're going to see him uh, do something very specific here. He was going to use the, the works. John 5.26 says, the, These works bear witness of me that, and that the Father has sent me. He was going to use these works to identify Jesus as the Son of God right? and authenticate that God had sent him. And this connects our, he, he is the Deuteronomy chapter 18 prophet that, that, that God told Moses that was coming. He is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He, he, he's anointed from above. He is the Messiah King that was coming to Israel. It was the works that God was placing before these numb hearts so that it couldn't be missed. Jesus had been sent with a message. Right? Jesus had been said, think, think for yourself, what was the message? Repent. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Right? John 3 to Nicodemus, do not marvel that I say you must be born again. Right? Jesus had come with the kingdom. Jesus had come there with a way, way to having spiritual life with the Father. And even, even the, the, the theme verse of this, John 20, 31, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Jesus had come with God's purpose and we're just straight back to the gospel. I'll never apologize for, for explaining the gospel. Jesus had come to pay the price for sin. Right? He had come to provide salvation for His people, salvation for the world, come to offer new life spiritually. But it gets serious real quick that after Jesus had explained the gospel before these rulers, there was no man without excuse for rejecting his message. There was no man listening without excuse for rejecting why he had come, the purpose for which he had come. And the same is for us today. After we've heard the Gospel, even if it's just once and you've rejected it, and we don't know what tomorrow holds there, perhaps there you, 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 accidents, sickness, what have you, and if you reject the gospel, if you reject the message of Christ, you will one day stand before the great white throne judgments, just like these men that reject. You will stand before the great white throne judgment and you will answer to why you rejected that message, why you rejected God's purpose of sending His Son to die on that cross on our, our behalf. You will be called upon to answer for your own sin. And the outcome of that is the lake of fire. Right? You have heaven for those who are born again and hell for those who reject the message. And that's where it gets, gets very, very serious. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. Jesus had an impossible task. I mean, He knew how numb these hearts were. He knew how how blind and deaf these men were and I, he, he knew the outcome he knew he was going to the cross and yet he still went he still obeyed his father he still took that gospel message i wrote in my notes i can't adequately describe how impossible this task is but jesus does in matthew 21 this this passage we're going to see speaks to judgment 
It speaks to the temporary cutting off of Israel, and I emphasize that temporal because Israel is not permanently cut off, right? That's what Reformed theology will teach you. That's what Calvinism, that Israel has been replaced, and that's not true, right? We need to get that, 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 that is not biblically correct. Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 33, speaks to hear another parable. Right, Jesus is explaining uh, parables, explaining his message, explaining his purposes to the chief priests, the rulers, right? the, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. Here another parable. There was a certain landowner, right? speaking about God. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. Right? Is God the Father, the landowner, right? Israel, his vine, his vineyard, his garden. He's done everything provided for it. And he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. The vine dressers are the rulers of Israel, the shepherds that we read about in Ezekiel 34, right? It's, it's the, the, the spiritual leaders of that country. He leased it to them. Now, when vintage time came or drew near, he sent his servants his prophets, his messengers, to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. Right? God's, all through Scripture, God sent prophets, messengers, people there directly from Him. Those prophets authenticated themselves through signs and wonders. They came with God's message. And the vine dressers, the Pharisees, shepherds, rulers of Israel took His servants, beat one, killed one, and stoned another Again, he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did likewise to them. Then last of all, he, the landowner, right, God, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved Israel. God loved the world. God sent His Son. Jesus was going into these rulers one last time. But when the vine dressers, the shepherds, the Pharisees, saw the Son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. This is the Messiah. This is the one that, that, that is the next in line for the kingdom. This is the heir. Come, let us kill Him and seize His inheritance. You see the mind of the Pharisees here. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? What will he do to the shepherds? What will he do to the Pharisees and the rulers? They said to him, the chief priests, he will be destroyed, or pardon me, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him fruits in their season. And Jesus said to them, have you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. Right? Who's the chief cornerstone? Christ. Christ is. So verse 43, the impossible task. You know, Israel's given a choice. The leaders are given a choice. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you 
and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. Let's stop there. Who's the nation? There's a transition here. We're going from Israel's new covenant blessings to the new current promises found in the church. Right? The Spirit come upon us at Pentecost and we're into the importance of understanding. Do we see how impossible that task is? Jesus going into the rulers and vine dressers of Israel. Jesus knew. Jesus knew what this was like. Knew what the response was going to be with the stupor and the blindness and the deafness. Let's continue to read in John chapter 9. As long as I am in the world, verse 5, I am the light of the world. And when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay and he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Had I been thinking, I got a nice picture of Carissa standing on the steps of the pool of Siloam. Um, it, it's, it's a really neat, it's, it's a... It's a place for washing or what have you. But we need to understand here that Jesus needed an audience with the Pharisees. And the easiest way to do that with the Pharisees was to rattle a little religious rules. Right? These, these men were bound by their religion. Like, like just in a horrible state. I, again, it's probably not original to me, but they needed to cause a little religious ruckus. Right? And that's what Jesus needed. He caused a little bit of religious ruckus. And I laugh because my personality is kind of drawn to the ruckus. And my personality is, is con Krista, I ask her sometimes, you know, I say, I don't know where it comes from as I'm stirring the pot or what have you. And she tells me it's from my sinful black heart uh, in response to that. Humor aside. Jesus needed the audience before these shepherds, the vine dressers, one last time. Right? God was going to, in His grace, was going to give them one last chance before that generation shift and they would be cut off. What better way than some religious ruckus? The Pharisees had this book called the Mishnah, and I've re- I've, I've shared a couple different times about that. It's writings. It's an oral commentary on the scriptures that they held, the Old Testament scriptures, the Word of God. It was writings from man because God's Word needed help. right? God's Word needed explanation. And yeah, it needs explanation sometimes. I mean, that's why there are teachers. Right? And that's why there's commentaries. But this is the Word of God. Right? This is what directs us. Not what man thinks. Not what man feels should be added. The Word of God is what directs our life. And as you, you read through, and I'm glad for electronics, but as you read through that, you begin understanding. And I found in the, the Mishnah Burra, um, 64, 65, I found some specific rules in the Mishnah that Jesus purposely breaks. Right? And, and this isn't sin because it's man's creation here. right? It's, it's not God's word that he's breaking. But he says, look, I need an audience. I am going to go against their religious rules. So now let's, let's read it. And I got it up here on PowerPoint. Number one, we need to realize that it's the Sabbath. And for the Pharisees, they had created something that, that had no room for God in it. And we've seen in our studies Wednesday nights and that there, the, the Sabbath, Jesus is like, you know what? What you guys are doing is not what God intended, right? So we recognize that Jesus is going to do this. Um, it's the Sabbath. Verse 14 explains that to us. Jesus goes and he spits 
on the ground with the intent of making a healing paste. Okay, and that might seem a little bit odd to us, but it'll connect in the end. He spits on the ground with the purpose of making a healing paste or what we would call a healing salve. All right, next we see him mixing it with clay. Well, you're not allowed to work on Sunday. Right, that mixing with the intent of healing somebody, that's work. And the Pharisees were like, no, 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 that, that's, that's sin. That, that's against, that's, that, that's not what God wants. And we see Jesus mixing it with clay with the intent of applying it to this man's eyes on the Sabbath. Religious ruckus. Jesus knew what they, they, they had made up. Jesus knew those rules, right? And each one of those points was specific for a purpose, not just to cause problems. It was for, for him to come before those Pharisees one last time with God's message of why he's come. I am the Messiah King. And I have come to offer you the kingdom. Believe that I am Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? Believe in me and his purposes. The Mishnah Barura, I don't speak Hebrew, so put up with me, but this is in English, so I should be able to do this. Um, right from the text here, to the inside of the eye, for the sages decreed a prohibition or, or a, a ban against doing anything on the Sabbath for healing purposes. Okay, so Jesus knew that. Right? So he, 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 he went directly, and I wanted to say, Chris, Jesus spit. So don't get so upset when I'm out doing what men do. But anything on the Sabbath for healing purposes, for fear that one may come to grind drugs all right, or make medicine. Right? So they say there that you're not allowed to, to do any kind of healing because you might have to make a medicine. Well, what's Jesus doing? He's spitting right there. He's mixing in the clay. If anyone opens so that it will go inside the eye or the application of that salve or that medicine, it is forbidden if one does this because it is evident that one is doing healing purposes on the Sabbath. So Jesus is very purposeful in what he's doing. Okay? This, is, this is part of the miracle, yes, but he's gaining that audience before the Pharisees with the gospel and his purpose there. So let's just read it one more time. When he said these things, he spat on the ground intentionally because he knew the, the rules of the Pharisees. He made clay with saliva. He made that salve. He made that ointment with the intent of applying it. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay, with the clay. So he, he, he did the doctor thing, right? And in the Pharisees' books, he was working. And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated, sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. I almost picture Jesus going, That should do the trick. I should be able to gain an audience before these guys. And, uh, and, and one last time. Now we see Jesus fade into the background. Right? We don't see Jesus again till, till after this man stands before the Sanhedrin, which would have been an intimidating thing himself. Seventy of the rulers of the country. I mean, I kept coming back. This man was blind for 40 years. He'd never read a word of the, the Torah. He'd never read anything, right? All he had was Jesus touched me, and once I was blind, now I can see. That's what he had to go on. Right? But we don't see Jesus till verse 35. So we see that this is about God using this man to come before the rulers of Israel and the country with the last decoration before that shift to, to giving it to the new current promises. One last verse, I promise, and then we're just going to read through the text and we'll be done. Okay? Because it, it, we understand when we connect those dots, 
just, just how, how small our impossible tasks get. Because God knows how impossible they are. God knows that we're going into the spiritually numb and blind and deaf, but He still commands us to go. Right? That's what the commission is. Is go. Right? Go and make disciples. Go take the Word of God. Go take that light. Go take the, the Gospel to them. Romans chapter 11. And this hopefully will, will connect the dots. Romans chapter 11. And this is the, the passage where Paul is explaining how Israel has been temporarily cut off. This is where I, I drew that, that outline from. Romans chapter 11, beginning in verse 7. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks. Right, Israel is looking for that Messiah king, but, but Jesus wasn't what they were looking for, so, so they have to get him out of the picture. Jesus, or Israel was looking for the new covenant blessings that we've been looking at, but, but it, Jesus wasn't the one bringing it. Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have attained it, and the rest were blinded. Those who recognize Jesus as the Son of God. Those who recognize Jesus as the Messiah King who had come to offer this to them. Just as is written, God has given them a spirit of stupor. Numbness. Spiritual slumber. Almost like a, a, an appendage that, that's not good for anything because you can't feel it. Right? God has given them a spirit of stupor. Eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap. Right? You see this in the Pharisees. This is the situation that Jesus is going into. Let their table become a snare and trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they do not see and bow their back always. Verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? No, certainly not. Right? They haven't been cut off completely. Right? There's a, a church parenthesis that my teachers explained to me. But through Israel's fall, through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. Right? We are grafted into that original promise, the church going out to the, the world. Now if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness, speaking about when Christ comes, the second coming after the tribulation, and, and, and brings the, the messianic millennial kingdom in. Do we see that though? The situation Jesus is going into, stupor, spiritual numbness. Right? They're blind. They can't see what God's doing around them. Right? There's a, a deafness there. They can't, they can't hear the, the most obvious answers before them. I mean, it's so clear, so simple. And yet, there's rejection. I'd like to just read John chapter 9 now. Understanding that stupor. Understanding that blindness. Understanding that deafness. And, and I pray that it connects for you because this passage almost gets a little annoying at what's going on. And, you'll, and if you haven't read it, you, you'll understand here in a second. Why, why didn't they get it? How could it have been made more clear? I mean, a, a blind man born blind from birth 
has received his sight. It doesn't get any more clear than that. Verse 8, Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, Yeah, this is he. Others said, No, that's not he. He's like him. And he said, the blind man's like, No, I am he. Right? Do we see that stupor? Do we see that confusion going on? Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, A man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and I received my sight. Pretty simple. Pretty clear. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. I don't know where Jesus went. I mean, he sent me to the pool. I was still blind. I didn't get my sight till I washed and obeyed. Where is he? I, I, I don't know. They brought him who formerly was blind to the Pharisees. So that's the, the 70 leaders of Israel, right? That, that's the, the power and authority. Now it was a Sabbath hmm, when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he received his sight. And he said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God. You'll notice that man is capitalized in my is speaking to, to Jesus and what Jesus had done. This man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. I mean, it doesn't get much clearer to this. I mean, if you want a definition of, of spiritual numbness, this is stupor. This is stupor. Let's read on. Verse 17. They said to the blind man again, What do you say about him? What do you say about Jesus? Because he opened your eyes. And he said, He is a prophet. Because that's what prophets did. Right? God sent them with a message. They did signs to authenticate that God had sent them. Right? And that, that they were bringing God's message. They were, they were messengers of him. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blinded and received sight until they called the parents of him who had received his sight. Right? And now I'm, I'm getting a little bit almost annoyed at this. Because, right? I mean, here's a 40-year-old man. They've got to go call his mom and dad to come in and, and explain that, you know, it's just how, how much more of a stupor can you get in here, right? How, how much deaf? I mean, I'm telling you. How blind can you be? Like, these things didn't work from birth, and now I can see. And they asked him, saying, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he see now? His parents answered him and said, Well... <laughs> We know that this is our son, and I hope they would, and that he was born blind. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, the anointed Messiah, he would be put out of the synagogue, cast out, Right, not just ostracized, but excommunicated from the, the, the Jewish community. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. So the Pharisees, right? They again called the man. 
Okay, And again, it's like, man, why don't they just get this? Who is blind and said to him, Give God the glory. We know that this man is a sinner. They're denying that this physical miracle actually happened. Give God. Jesus did not do this. I actually gave them a title here as I was reading. What Stupor, blindness, numbness. Right? We have a bunch of religious idiots here. They're just, just refusing to see the work of God refusing to, to hear the, the words of a man testifying of what God has done in their life. He answered and said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know one thing I know. <laughs> Put all of this stupor behind us. I know that though I was blind, now I see. He answered them, I told you already and you did not listen. Deafness. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become His disciples? Then they reviled Him and said, You are His disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spoke to Moses as for this fellow. We do not know where he is from. They can't understand what this man is telling them. The man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, and yet he has opened my eyes. You can't even recognize a prophet. You can't even recognize God's own messenger. Isn't this a marvelous thing? Man's still speaking. Now we know that God does not hear sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. We don't have time to go back to Deuteronomy 18. Since the world began, it has been unheard of, that anyone open the eyes of one who is born blind. Here's the fulfilled purpose. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. All right, let that sink through the stupor that these guys are showing. They answered him and said to him, You were completely born in sins, and are you teaching us? And they cast him out. Religious idiots. Right, just caught up in a spiritual numbness to the things of God. Blind to what God is doing. Deaf to, to a testimony of what Jesus has done in their life. It, it meant nothing to them. Sometimes I think religion. People walk away from religion, don't they? Did you, did you sense the frustration from this man who had experienced the touch of Jesus on his life? He doesn't want what they have. He doesn't, he doesn't want to, to be part of, of, of what they're creating. Notice how Jesus finds him. right? He, he's waiting for them, for him. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of God? And again, I, that, that impossible task is, as we go after our families and friends and, and into our community right, with the message of the gospel. Right? People walk away from religion. We need to be asking the bottom line, most important question here. It's about relationship. This morning, right? do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That's the beginning point. Our whole service, we've heard the cross, we've heard, I mean, we've done everything but the Christmas story of him being sent and born in a manger and living a sinless life. That is the, that is the, the beginning point of a relationship with God. 
Do you believe in the Son of God? Jesus wasn't promoting religion. He was pointing towards spiritual life by faith in Him. He answered and said, Who is He, Lord, that I may believe in Him? Those that have walked away from religion, those that have walked away from the church, those are, those are, are, are I don't want anything to do with, with that white building with the cross on it. This is the message. They don't know this Jesus. They don't know this gospel. They don't want the, the pews and the hymnals. And that, that all comes afterwards as we form our worship and we grow in it. But they need to know who this Jesus is. Who is He, Lord, that I may believe in Him? And Jesus said to him, You have both seen Him, and I'm going to point here. We've seen Him this morning. Right? He has shown Himself this morning. You have both seen Him, and it is He who is talking with you. That's powerful. And I pray that He is speaking with each of us here this morning. Right? You have seen Him. It is He who is speaking with you. And again, I can't help but think there are those impossible tasks as we're going in. Don't worry about drawing people into the church. Right? They see that as religion. Ask them the most important questions. Do you believe in Jesus as the Son of God? Because right? their question is, who is He, Lord? I, he doesn't completely understand. They, they, they don't know. You have both seen Him and it is He who is talking with you. We also know it doesn't stay out there. Because what do we see this man doing? Then he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped Him. Don't drag them into the church. Our impossible task is to take the Gospel, take the, the Lord Jesus Christ, take who He is to them, and then they'll join us in worship. Then they'll join us in discovering who He is. We all have that impossible task, that mountain, that, 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 that go that we cringe towards, but so did Jesus. And He was willing to go. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for this, this morning. But Lord, <laughs> I can speak for myself. Lord, I get scared in those situations. Lord, I can find a hundred reasons why not to go and, and open just a simple passage, well, maybe not so simple, but open a passage like John 9 and just explain a, a story, Lord, a narrative of what You did in someone's life and how the whole thing was pointing towards explaining the Gospel before people who would reject it, but the, the outcome is a, a, ma, a man seeing who You are. A man coming to that place of, of faith in You, receiving that new life, and being found in the place of worship, Lord. I pray that You would help us. Lord, I pray that for those of us that have been complacent, and saying no when the Spirit's nudging, I pray that You would ignite a fire, even if it's just one last time, Lord. Lord, ignite a fire. Help us just to go and, and again, just open, open the Word to John 9 and show them. But Lord, I help, help us to understand that there is a spiritual numbness going on. There's a, a spiritual slumber that's going on. And Lord, You are using us to pierce through that. Help us to rise up as risen people of the King and be Your voice. Let it start on this long weekend. 
Help us understand we're not doing this alone. We have a church here for a reason. We can ask other people for help. I commit myself to that. Lord, and I commit this church to that. In your precious name, amen.